Hello, Rip City. To all of you here in town and in every corner of the interwebs, thank you for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying this beautiful Sunday, the 2nd of February. I am Keith Fulner-Smith. He is Ty Delbridge. What up? And you are listening to the Podland Trailcasters. And Ty, if they're looking to reach out to us on the social medias, where can they find us at? They can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and that's at Trailcasters. And how about those fancy-dancy emails? trailcasters at gmail.com and when they find the pod on iTunes Google Play Stitcher Spotify wherever they're looking for or wherever they are looking for what are we looking for five stars yes sir and these beautiful beats right now that you are hearing you can find from Odar at where soundcloud.com slash Odar beats all correct thank you listeners uh, go and check them out and please support our sponsor Clearly Speaking Brandon Nuckton over at clearlyspeakingoregon.com is a licensed speech and hearing pathologist and she can help you with all sorts of things like stuttering slurring any sort of uh, accelerated speech or other language things you're working on any sort of accent reduction uh, voice fatigue from doing podcasts all day or yelling at Super Bowl parties which I'm sure we're all going to be working with this weekend so go and reach out to Brenda at clearlyspeakingoregon.com and Ty, we've got a great guest coming in here in a minute, Michael Bodmer from ESPN's The Jump with Rachel Nichols. I am stoked to get him in here. He's going to have lots of stuff to talk with us about. I feel like we should probably just save most of it for that, but why don't we uh, do some quick game review? We had three games this week, right? Yeah, I am uh, also very excited for our guest, but um, yeah, let's just check out these last fun little winning streak the Blazers have been on. Well, well, yeah, we'll talk with him about all these in detail, you know, but just the, the quick summary. We had a, a game up here against Houston and then a game down in L.A. with lots and lots of things going on and a game up here in Utah. But I think the big thing I want to hit on right now before we get Michael in here for all the details is uh, the one the one kind of consistent through these three games uh, was what or who, I guess. Was Mr. Damian Lillard that playing like right. the best player in the league, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, or like we should just stop the season right now and give him the MVP trophy. <laughs> I'd be down if, if we could give him the MVP just by supper now I'd say yeah let's take a nice fat pause here but he has been incredible uh, just gone on a tear not just these last three games but the last six or so uh, he won player of the week uh, we he's probably gonna be winning player of the month oh, lots yeah. more to talk about with all that but boy shout out to our boy Damian Lillard uh, anything else you want to throw in here before we get Michael on uh, no just he's just been incredible and like at this point I can just laugh when I just watch him make three after three after three. I don't know what else to do. So, yeah, yeah. let's let's yeah. get into it more with uh, with Michael. He's a Portland native who is now working down on ESPN's The Jump with Rachel Nichols. I have all sorts of billions of questions to ask about with that and obviously everything else that has happened uh, in L.A. this week. But ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Michael Bodmer. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing great, man. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Obviously, uh, uh, let's just start off with the, the elephant in the room, right? Uh, it's been a crazy week in not only the world of basketball, but... Uh, the sports world in, in general and just kind of uh, all the cultures that have been affected by 
Kobe and Gianna and the passing uh, last Sunday. But you in particular, you've been down in L.A. Uh, we had the game down there this Friday, so Blazer fans obviously have been tuned in with the rest of the world uh, for the first game back in Staples Center. But uh, as far as boots on the ground, can you tell us anything? Uh, what was it like being there uh, Being there this week? Uh, I mean, I, I had a similar reaction to everybody. You just see it on Twitter and you're just like, no, this has to be somebody messing with us. Um, and like, I still think a lot of people have emotions like that, but then like our office, we work just directly across from Staples Center. We're in LA live and I'm sure you've seen like the live look-ins when you were watching the game. Like, it's just mm -hmm. like, yes, it was more packed than any other day because probably because it was the first week for a full weekend day since he's passed. And there's just thousands of people just like putting flowers, crying, just it's a, in a very, very emotional scene. And uh, it just puts it into perspective. And I, I think it's cool how, I mean, obviously our country is pretty divided right now, but like the death of Kobe has like united a lot of minorities. Like it, it kind of sounds maybe a little like weird how I put it like that, but. No, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. You just look down there and like LA is a melting pot, obviously. And you just see like every different skin color, every different ethnicity hugging each other and just like sharing their Kobe memories. So, um, it's been, uh, it's been horrible, like, but it's also been a very unifying experience for the city and also the NBA community. It's a great point. And honestly, I think it stretches even beyond that. I think, uh, it's been, it's blown me away. And Ty and I talked about this, uh, on last week's episode as well. We actually canceled our recording, uh, last Sunday and ended up recording midweek. So it seems like we just did this the other day, but, uh, it's, it's been amazing as uh, not necessarily Kobe fans, but obviously respecting him as the athlete, but uh, it's, it's someone that you love to hate uh, in the sport itself as kind of the anti-hero uh, from our perspective as Blazer fans. But to see the impact that he has had, not just in the basketball world, but many cultures and across so many different boundaries, it's, it's been really incredible. Uh, I agree. But uh, beyond that, though, how about this game on Friday, the first game back in Staples Center? It was, uh, uh, I feel like it's one of these things that up here at least, the, the conversation was uh, basically the Hollywood story. There was no way that we were going to see basically what we saw happen on Friday night. I think the assumption was that LeBron was ready to carry this and kind of uh, we all saw this narrative coming as far as uh, it just it was his game, his night, and it was going to take off. For Dame to take over in the way that he did, and this is not meant as any criticism towards LeBron or AD or any, anyone down there. It was a, a beautiful celebration, beautiful tribute, and beautiful basketball on both ends. But I don't think there was much question that Dame was the best player on the floor. And from, from Blazer fans, I feel like it's easy for us to be like, all right, you know, big game for us up here and so unexpected. Do you feel down there, was he seen as a, a villain in a way? Was there any sort of uh, problem with kind of his disruption of this narrative? Or do you think it was, did people just appreciate good basketball? I think uh, anybody that has a profile picture on Twitter and is not an egg, uh, <laughs> what Dame did on on Friday night. Uh, I mean, Dame's like the most disrespectful, respectful player I've ever seen in my life. Like everybody loves him, but then he's pulling up from thirty five feet in your eye. Like NBA fans love that dude. And um, I mean, there's all that. There was all that imagery where it's like he dropped forty eight, which is twenty four times two, which was Gigi's number. Portland took a twenty four second violation at the end of the game, and then one by eight. Like wow, every, yeah. people people love all of that stuff. And I mean, I, I saw Laker fans all over the place saying like Dame played with the Mamba mentality tonight. And he doesn't nice. get, booed. he doesn't get booed anywhere except for OKC. And 
<laughs> and maybe maybe some salty Houston fans that are left over, but like he, he's revered and people love him. I think people really respected what he did on Friday. Well, uh, let's let's kind of tie that in as well. I want to ask you about. Uh, we mentioned that you you are a Portland native, and you told us in the in the uh, pre recording that you've gone to Grant and Lincoln up here, so your roots are pretty thick and obvious, I'd say. But uh, when did you move to LA? Uh, how were you a were you a Blazer fan before Dame came along, or were you down there uh, when when he kind of joined the team? Where does this uh, all kind of fit in for you? No, I have been a massive Blazer fan my whole life. In sixth grade, I did my uh, career project on Brian Wheeler. Oh, nice! I always wanted to be a I always wanted to be a basketball player. And my dad, when I got old enough and realized, like, okay, I could finally tell him, like, he's five ten and white. He's never going to play in the NBA. <laughs> um, so yep. I was like, okay, but how, how do I get as close to the game as I possibly can? And so I was like, okay, broadcasting. And so I uh, I called. I don't remember who I called, but I figured out finally how to like reach Brian Wheeler's personal line. And so I got to like meet him at Red Robin and interview him. And, uh, <laughs> He took me to a game against the Jazz, and I got to sit courtside, and he just like told me to be on my best behavior. Um, so honestly, I've I've felt all the highs and the lows, mostly the lows of being a Blazer fan my whole life. But <laughs> I uh, I went to school, um, studied broadcast journalism, and moved to Bristol, Connecticut, as a um, production assistant. Worked oh, there wow. for a year. Yeah, worked there for a year, and then Sports Nation, the show with Beetle and Cowherd. Yeah. Was moving to LA at the time. It was uh, Beetle and um, and Marcellus Wiley. Right, right. And shout out to them, man. I love that show. Yeah, Carissa Thompson and Marcellus Wiley. Excuse me. And then, um, and then I worked on that for a couple of years. And then the jump launched. Rachel Nichols came back to ESPN. And like at ESPN, though, I was covering baseball. I was covering football, tennis, golf, everything. Um, but basketball has always been my passion. So I got in there and. I get along really well with Rachel. She trusted me with a lot of her content, and so kind of carved out a niche for myself. Wow, that's fantastic! I what was the uh, so you went from Portland to Connecticut and back to LA? That's a lot of cross country moving, essentially following this job, man. Yeah, they paid for all my moves, so it's okay. Nice. <laughs> uh, how, what was the time span on that? So you're talking over in Connecticut and out, out to LA for Sports Nation. So that had to be twenty. I, I don't remember exactly. Twenty ten ish. No, so I moved to Connecticut 2012. Okay. Uh, beginning of 2013, moved to LA, been there ever since. Wow, nice. And how do you like LA as uh, compared to Portland? Because let, let me just add in here, I lived in Santa Monica for a little while. Loved it down there. It's beautiful. I'm I'm from San Diego originally, even, and I can certainly appreciate Southern California. But I feel like there's a not just in the sports world as far as Blazers and Lakers fans, but there's a certain dissidence between kind of the, the Southern Californian and Oregon kind of lifestyle. Where do you feel like your, uh, uh, your loyalties lie at this point? Oh, um, if, if the Blazers offered me a job in their department, like your video department tomorrow, I'd move on. That. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, I'll, I'll put in a good word for you over to NBC. No, <laughs> that's awesome, man. Uh, that's, that's very cool. How, how's it working with Rachel down there as well? I, does it feel... Does it feel like you are working with celebrity, or is it something you've been doing long enough where it's it's just uh, just another crowd? Uh, Rachel's incredible. Uh, I don't know how much it comes across on TV. Like she's a tireless worker. Like if you guys watch her monologues, she basically writes a sports column every day. Nobody, she doesn't have any writers. She doesn't talk right. to anybody. She writes her own stuff. Uh, she's the most hands-on, on-air talent I've ever been with. And if you watch the show, you know she constantly shouts out her producers. Yeah, she, like she. She gets his Christmas gifts. She's she's one of the best people I've ever worked with in my life. She's incredible. That's, that's, 
Uh, well, so something else I've seen a lot of recently too is you guys do. You you've been doing the the live events, kind of like the on on site shooting versus the in studio stuff. Do you have a preference? Is there one that you find kind of a uh, kind of the format between working in studio shows and like you're saying with uh, Rachel, she does this monologue in the opening. I I love those pieces uh, that she does, and it's very interesting to hear that this is all that she all done by herself. It's not something that she has writers for. Uh, but in the same sense, when you guys are in studio, it's much more of a controlled environment. I've seen a lot of, uh, especially around when you guys get to the playoffs and certain events like this last week, there's kind of more of these kind of the, these live uh, shows set up. How does that change the job for you? I guess is the main question. Uh, for me, it doesn't change it all that much because I'm not like, I'm like, I, I'm an associate producer. So I'm right in the middle. Um, okay. So I'm not really responsible for a lot of like the planning and the execution. I just kind of, okay, what do you guys need me to do? I'll do it. Uh, there's something like, like, I don't travel that much anymore with the with the show because I um, I cut Rachel's monologues and I do a lot of video editing and like a lot, they need me for a lot of the stuff in LA. But like I was at the 2016 finals, um, I was at Game Seven. Like I've, I've I've traveled a fair amount and it's really fun. But at the same time, it's like a certain level of chaos that's taken out. That's kind of nice when you can just chill and be in the studio. Yeah. Boy, okay, and Ty, I got to apologize here because basically, once I realized uh, how many how many questions I have about the job, I could just go down a rabbit hole with Michael here on this. You're Let's do this man. back towards Blazes a little bit. I wish uh, people could see your face right now. You're like you're super <laughs> giddy, you're like a kid in the candy store. So oh, I'm just sitting back and enjoying. So no, don't worry about me. Uh, well, yeah, let's let's keep this uh, a little more focused back on the Blazers, though. Uh, Ty you and I were talking before we brought you in, Michael, about the last week of Blazers basketball. We had three amazing games. Uh, the Houston uh, victory, victory over Houston, excuse me, here in Portland, 125 to 112, where Mello passed Kevin Garnett, 17 in scoring. Uh, Dame had his first triple-double up here. And then this went down... We'll get to the game from last night as well, but this went down to the game uh, in L.A., that first game in Staples Center that we mentioned, where Dame went off. Uh, he's setting milestones left and right, but what uh, I guess in, in, in that game itself, Dame had his dunk where he dunked a number of the Lakers uh, and some of those those deep 30-plus footers. What Was there a turning point maybe where I, I know at first when I was watching that game, the fans, there, as much as they may have been uh, respectful of Dame, like you said, at the very start, at least, he was certainly deflating the room with some of these shots. But do you feel like there was a point where they kind of turned more towards just kind of the, that appreciation you were talking about? Is there was there a certain shot or uh, or part of the game you remember in particular? Like uh, that third quarter was phenomenal, and we were we're sitting up at the top. Uh, we have like we have press passes, so we can be on the court during like warm ups and like post game and stuff like that. But they Staples put you all at the top when the game starts if you're media and. Um, that third quarter, there was the like being at the top. You have a vantage point where you can just see like a million surrender cobras, where everybody's just throwing <laughs> their hands back, like are hitting me. And uh, the last three of the quarter that he hit, he came off the screen and just launched over Caruso. I think there was like two minutes left, and just the, the gas from the Staples Center was just like, "Are you kidding?" Because they weren't playing bad defense. Lakers were playing great defense on him. It's just nobody takes and makes more difficult shots than Damian Lillard and. That is on display right now. Yeah, he's he's been on a tear for sure. I think I saw a stat the other day uh, where, uh, as far as three players have shot thirty or more shots from thirty plus feet, it's him and Trey Young, and oh gosh, I'm kicking myself for not having this in front of me right now. But Damian is basically blowing away both the volume and the efficiency. He's at like forty four percent from thirty plus feet, and he's uh, shot like eighty four of them so far. It's just ridiculous. 
All right, so I have a quick question for uh, for both of you guys, real quick. So since Steph Curry's not played this year, I think Lillard's getting maybe some more attention on these games. But let's say Steph was playing with Golden State and he was healthy, and he's basically the one man show there. Because let's say like, or, or let's say that like he doesn't have Thompson this year, would Lillard be getting as much love as he is getting from these games? I still think I still think he would, and this is gonna be controversial but i think steph kind of got left off or kind of got let off the hook this year when he got hurt because the uh. team looked they looked horrendous in those first four games and he would he's still steph i love steph i love watching him play he's an all-time talent but um i was very curious to see him work with a team that like a similar team that dame has worked with his entire career since like a couple of years that's a great point. Yeah, as far as the, just the idea of what we've seen Dame do, he's done without a lot of outlets, without a lot of people that he can reliably count on on the wings or in the corners to uh, to kind of release the pressure on him. And we're seeing these last couple games, these last six or so, uh, how many games have we had Ariza for now? I feel like we're seeing a real difference having a capable, consistent wing. Uh, unlike what we've had for a long time, I don't think you could say that Mo Harkless or even all the way back to Nick Batum uh, were as consistent wings as even just having a veteran in here like Ariza has been for these, and Melo as well. Uh, but it's very interesting to think about what Steph Curry would have looked like without the surrounding roster that we've known him to have. Uh, that's a great question, Ty. And I want to kind of turn it on in a different direction as well, because we talked about this the other day, Ty, you and I. Uh, Dame this year, if our team didn't have these injuries, if the Blazers didn't get so decimated early on from both physical injuries and the, the disease going around or whatever it's been, uh, if we are in a better standing as far as contending in the West, would Dame be getting talked about the way that Steph was a couple of years ago when that team was just rocking everybody? I feel like right now, you know, to, to people in the know, to real fans like us that are kind of paying a little more attention, yeah, Dame, he's not just amazing, but we're understanding how amazing he is. I think the general NBA fan, after this week, they might get that he's amazing, but I just don't know if it's quite the same as what they saw Steph as, you know, or he's just like blowing the doors open. Yeah. Um, did Lillard, I think this could have been, I know like this season, obviously like you were just saying like with, like with these injuries and stuff, but we've never really seen Dame this aggressive before and during the regular season. I know like we see him in spurts, but now it seems like he's at a whole different level. And I think, yes, the season's not as gone as way as we liked, but I think this almost might've been a small positive for Damian Lillard to realize he needs to be more aggressive for this team when they are healthy, when Nurkic and Collins are back. Cause let's say he's playing like this with a healthy Collins and Nurkic. Yes. Maybe he's not getting as much touches, but if he's this aggressive and he's putting this much pressure on defenses, that's going to open up so much more. So maybe this kind of sparks out the frame and goes, Hey, this is a way I can play now. And I need to play like this like all the time. Not just when I don't have guys on the floor. Like, when I have my healthy guys, I need to be playing at this level. So maybe this kind of did something for Lillard, like, showed him, like, yeah, I can do this at a consistent level. <laughs> well, I would love to see this from him consistently, but, man, I just, I'm still worried about this season, how much of it we're going to waste, how much of, uh, how much of his gas we're going to burn through on what might still be a lost season. But, Michael, what do you think? Do you see this as a, something where have you, have your expectations changed as far as being a Blazer fan and expecting them to uh, get to the playoffs, or do you see this still as a season where maybe it's a little best to kind of ease off the gas at some point? Uh, I mean, if you would ask me a week ago, I'd just say let's just pack it up and let's get it. <laughs> right. That's where I've been most of the season because they've been so hard to watch. Um, but I mean, it's you always go back and forth because you're like, okay, do we bust our ass to get this eight seed and play the Lakers in the first round? Like, is that rewarding? But I think 
I mean, if, if Nurk and Collins are back, let's go make the playoffs. I think it's it, everything changed when Nurk got hurt because all of a sudden we're making trades to replace Nurk instead of using Myers and Mo to get an impact three or something like that. Right, yeah. right. Every, everything changed. Um, but I, I, I'm down to, to push. I, I kind of want them to keep the roster intact right now. I don't know if you guys read Jason Quick's article this morning in The Athletic. Um, but why From this I, morning? Yeah, he published this morning. White, or Quick was very opinionated, saying, like, Portland should keep this roster together. Olshay should take this week off. And he has a quote from Whiteside. <laughs> he has a quote from Whiteside saying, Whiteside bought a house in Portland. He's like, I want to be here. Wow. Oh, man, this is great. Look, look, look at you coming in here. Michael Bonner coming in here with the uh, the breaking news from an article this morning from our local guy, Quick. Neither Ty or I, I, I don't know. Maybe Ty, I'm not trying to I told you about this, actually, <laughs> the second <laughs> episode that he was buying a fat house and putting in some big construction work, which I thought at the time was kind of maybe not smart for him because I didn't think he was going to be here long term. I was like, who buys a house when they might get traded by the deadline? So maybe he knew something we didn't. You expect me to remember what you said, like 16 episodes? Come on, bro. We've been talking way too much. But <laughs> but thank you. I'm glad you called that out. Apparently, I'm the only one that doesn't do his research. But uh, that, that's fantastic, Michael. There, that Quick has this article. I'm going to have to go find this. I love Jason Quick's work. Shout out to him. Hey. We've referenced him a couple times recently. The article he wrote on Brandon Roy. Uh, yeah. As well as some other great pieces. But you're saying that he is, uh, he's got a piece about keeping this uh, this roster together and I feel like that has is that really ha- is kind of the the balancing uh, the edge of the knife that we're balanced on right now, as far as if you are going to move Whiteside, it has to be done immediately. And if if we're not going to move Whiteside, what are we doing as far as him long term? How is he going to fit next to Nurk? Uh, so what what are you thinking? You were in favor of keeping this roster together. Do you think Whiteside is going to be just a rental for the rest of this season, and then Nurk will be healthy, or do you see him as someone that would be maybe a long term piece signing back here, like Hood did for less than uh, less than people expect? Uh, it would have to be less than you expect, but I think if Portland keeps this team intact, it means they want to make the playoffs this year because you don't know what you're going to get from Nurkic when he comes back. So if you trade Whiteside, that leaves you with what Scal starting at the five, <laughs> like like when he gets healthy. Um, yeah. So I think if you want to make the playoffs, you have to keep Whiteside this year, and then and then if he gives us a discount, that'd be great, and if he's willing to come off the bench, that'd be great. But I mean. Nurk, Nurkic is the franchise center. As, as impressive as Whiteside has been, it's it's still our guy, Nurk. Yeah, I don't think either Ty or I would argue with you on that. Uh, Nurk is definitely, I think, the long-term starting center. But like uh, we were saying, again, before we did this episode, uh, the idea that easing Nurk back in this season by having Whiteside here as the starter does seem like it's probably the best option uh, for, for the health of our, our long-term stars. I think the the big taboo that fans have a problem with is the idea that if Whiteside is going to be here the rest of the season and then walks away after that, uh, to let that value walk puts the team in a, in a bad light. And uh, Ty, like you and I were saying earlier as well, I'm not really sure if that's quite as true as it uh, as kind of the perception. Uh, but Michael, where do you, or Ty, give us your thoughts first. Uh, what is your kind of, I guess, real idea on um, how bad would that be or, or not so bad? I don't know, like, at first, like, I always thought about, I think it's something we got from maybe more of, like, the pro media people uh, who really do this stuff, that, like, when you have an asset like Whiteside, who's on a $27 million, like, expiring Tron track, like, you have to trade that to get something, or, like, to salary dump, like, or, like, you just have to use it, like, you can't let it walk, but at this point, I think the Blazers are maybe saying, yeah, like, our 2016 was a mistake, 
Now this is our way to wipe our hands <laughs> clean of it. We got rid of Leonard. We got rid of Turner. We got rid of Harkless. Now we have Whites on this deal. I don't know if they can trade him for as much value as they can get back. Like they might not be able to get him for very much, and he's putting up insane numbers. So, yeah, you trade him, and all of a sudden you make your team worse for this year. And like you said, let's say they or let's say they are trying to make the playoffs. That's not the direction they want to go. So maybe they just they risk letting him walk, and then they have money to spend elsewhere. And they're just like, you know what? We're just moving on we're not gonna we're just we're not looking at the past more we're wiping our hands clean we're just moving on so i think maybe that's a risk they're willing to take because also let's say they lose Whiteside, they have nurkic and collins and it's not like they don't have anybody behind you yeah for You're next year for next season yeah. yeah it's not like they all of a sudden okay now we don't have a center like they have guys who are ready to start for him so yeah you could possibly just let them walk and move on so what it really does come down to then is the idea of if we are going to push for the playoffs, then keeping Whiteside here makes sense. If we, Basically, if we're trying not to waste Dame's, uh, his energy, his effort, if we're trying to get something out of this. I'm, I'm not against that as an idea, and I don't know, I, I, I think my priorities are always going to be more about the long-term health of the team, uh, but certainly when you see Dame going off the way he is here, it's hard to ignore. You certainly, I, I'm, I'm here for this ride too. I don't want to... I don't want to try and shut him down at this point. Again, even, Michael, you mentioned a week ago, your opinion had changed on this. A week ago, I was saying, I don't want Dame playing more than 30 or 32 minutes a game. I, I wanted to kind of slow him down. And now you're seeing him doing these, uh, putting up the numbers he is, and it's in about 40 uh, a game. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, don't play 40. It just looks too good. Uh, moving from the bigs, let's talk about the wings. Mello and Ariza, what is the kind of our, what is your opinion, Michael, long-term as far as their fit here? Do you think... If it, it sounds like we're all kind of, again, saying that Whiteside could go one way or the other. It just depends on what Neil is going to do. No one really knows. We will find out this week. But as far as the wings, Mello has said he wants to retire here. We've seen Hood take less money to stay here. And Ariza, I believe, has a contract for one more year. Uh, where do you stand, Michael? Do you think, uh, is Ariza looking like a buyout? Is he someone the team would not be keeping around long term? Do you think they'd be able to keep Mello in Portland? Or is he going to get better deals? Maybe anything you've heard down with your L.A. connections? Uh would Melo want to play with LeBron, or do you think he'd really stay here? I mean, I I think Melo would stay here. Melo doesn't say a lot of things that he doesn't mean, like he uh, and he doesn't speak publicly that often. Um, I would love to have Melo come back if he would accept a bench role, which we had Rachel Nichols interviewed him um, like when he got to Portland about two weeks after he arrived, and he was like, "As long as they're honest with me, I'll do whatever they want." And Melo, just being in the post in the second unit, if he accepts that, I think it'd be phenomenal. You and I touched a little bit on Twitter last night about Trevor Ariza. I like he's he's been a role player his whole career. He's never made massive All Star money. Right. So to ask him to ask him to take less than twelve million because what what's a buyout like six seven eight like he's gonna he's gonna want his twelve million. I don't see him saying like yeah sure I'll go somewhere else. Um, yeah, like this free agent class, people clown it a lot. It's not that bad. It's just not star driven. But uh, there's some there's some solid guys like there's Gallinari, there's Derek Favors. I'm looking at it right now. There's uh, Dragic, Fournier, there's Jeremy um, Jeremy Grant who there we I go last night. Yeah, that's who I want Portland to go after. I think a starting five of Dame, CJ, uh, Ariza, Jeremy Grant, and Yusuf Nurkic is phenomenal. That that's the defense, shooting, switching, everything. Um, so that, that's another reason why I want Whiteside to stay the year. Let that expire. Portland's one of the, I know Portland doesn't really attract free agents, but we're really one of the only like decent teams that has cap space. Because hmm. everybody's 
everybody is strapped this summer. So um, I don't know. People people love Dame. People love Stotts. Melo's here. Uh, if you could lure a guy like Jeremy Grant, I think that would be a franchise-altering type of move. Well, and if there ever is going to be a time where you're going to try and lure a free agent like that, uh, you know, again, we all do know Portland's reputation, but we've seen things that we've mentioned already today. Uh, Hood taking less. Melo saying that he wants to stay here. Whiteside, like you mentioned as well, buying the house. A lot of these players uh, attaching themselves to Portland has got to look good to free agents. Maybe the uh, reputation can kind of start to change around here, and uh, that could make a huge difference for the for the roster the next couple of years. Yeah, and and look at look at a team like Utah. I mean, they've lost four in a row because they're finally playing teams that are not terrible. <laughs> they they're off. <laughs> they turned a corner like Bogdanovich. People are like oh, teams like Portland, Sacramento, Utah, they can't get free agents. Bogdanovich has been a huge like he's been the reason they've improved so much. Like Mike yeah. Conley's been well, I mean, Bogdanovich was a free agent signing for four years, and he's been the X factor in that season so far. You, yeah. you can get you can get impactful guys. You just have to be smart. Well, how about uh, some of our young guys? Uh, we've got Anthony Simons. He was really set up this year to uh, kind of be a breakout player. A lot of hype around him by Olshay and Dame and a number of other players on the team. But we haven't really quite seen that come around. And on the other hand, uh, Nasir Little, I have been super impressed with. And Jalen Horde, while he's not playing a role as much now, he was a week or so ago. Uh, I think we've got some really good young talent. Is anyone standing out to you? Uh, anyone impressing you so far with what you've seen from, from down there? I mean, Gary Trent has had. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. His, his, his January. I think Gary Trent has kind of become what we wanted Amperny to become this year. Uh, and like Amperny, I'm still really high on the kid. I think he's going to be awesome. But like, he just doesn't look like he knows how to play NBA basketball yet. Because <laughs> I mean, he, he came straight out of high school. He just trained for a year and like, yeah, got to be incredibly daunting. Like, you still see a lot of ISO ball. You see a lot of four shots and like, I, he's in a great situation. He's got Stotts and Dame as his mentors, and like Nurkic is a big brother. I, I think he'll be fine. But Gary Trent, as his shooting is invaluable, he, he looks like a he looks like a Wes Matthews to me, a three and D. Like if, if if that's his ceiling, I'd be thrilled. Well, I think Gary got a little bit lucky because he came into this season with not as much expectations, and Simon's had all the hype from team and from like national media people. So he almost had a little too much on his shoulders for this kid who didn't even play college ball. I think Gary played at Duke that one year. So that was basically that year kind of like allowed him to learn some stuff and figure out more stuff. And then last year with Simons, he barely played. So, so that's not really a rookie or he was a rookie, but like this year is basically like his rookie year. Now he's played 50 games. So yeah, I, um, I'm really impressed with Gary Turner. I think he, uh, I think he has a shot to really make this team long-term. You guys actually bring up a great point with Gary Trent there, too. And I'm sorry, uh, sorry, Gary. Shout out to him that I didn't mention his name when I was talking about our, our young talent. But, yeah, he's been looking amazing. And, Michael, you mentioned a Wesley Matthews comparison, which I'm sure a lot of fans will like up here. Honestly, I feel like I've almost seen a little bit of a CJ comparison with some of the kind of the jitterbug moves. He had a I think it was against Houston the other night earlier this week where he's driving in the paint and just. Oh, you, you, it looks like he's going to kind of give the shoulder into the defender and doesn't quite make contact, jumps the other way, and just has a real clean, open uh, free-throw line jumper. And I feel like, you know, Ty, you and I have mentioned before, and there's been a lot of talk about whether or not uh, you discuss breaking up the backcourt of Damon CJ. Obviously, CJ would have the most value as far as a trade asset on this team outside of the expiring contracts, uh, and especially if we're talking about Whiteside sticking around here. But... I'm not really convinced that uh, 
that this backcourt needs to be broken up, that we've seen the full ceiling uh, of what they could do together. But, you know, there, there is the, again, the other side of it is always what could CJ do with his own team. Michael, where do you stand on, on the backcourt, especially with Gary Trent coming along as a possible piece that could fit in if CJ were to be uh, traded away? Uh, if there's a no brainer trade and like, like there's a disgruntled star that wants out and it just makes a ton of sense, I'm all for it. But I don't know. I, I love watching Dan Dame and CJ play. It's when you draft two guys that are this talented, that like each other this much, that keep getting playoffs. I think you just let it ride and build around them. I think that they're, they're both. I mean, you saw CJ Channing MVP for Dame yesterday. Like you don't, that's right. not common in NBA. Yeah, and he uh, and I saw Dame quote tweet that because it was like I, I think the Blazers tweeted of CJ Channing MVP, and then I saw Dame quote tweet that and say like I love you, brother, and then CJ tweets back at him or that I love you, brother, and then someone else like tweeted out like I love how these two play, like there's no greed or amnesty between them, like they just want to win, and then I think Dame quote tweeted that with like a 100 emoji, so. I think these guys, it's bigger than basketball with them. I know some people want to say, like, yeah, like, CJ wants his own team. Uh, But I think at the end of the day, I think CJ realized how fortunate he is is to play with Damian Lillard. And something I was talking to Keith about, CJ was supposed to have a really, really good year this year. And he's kind of not had a great year. And I don't think people are really noticing or they're not really caring or hating on him as much because he is playing with Lillard and stuff. So I think if he was on his own team playing like this, he'd be getting a lot more – hate and i think not as much love but right now i think people are still expecting him to still be that great player and so he, i think he can almost take a back seat so i don't know if cj wants to go do his own team i mean obviously yeah like if there's a no-brainer trade out there and, and there's a wing who we can go get or whatever yeah definitely do it but i think at the end of the day with with damon cj's relationship i don't think you can break that up yeah and and cj when he signed his extension this summer I think it's pretty clear he's content where he's at because he was like, Portland allows me to accomplish my goals. This is like where, like, the city, the vibe, everything suits me. I'm happy here. And last night, Hollinger, John Hollinger tweeted out, Carmelo has blown up multiple actions by denying wing passes tonight. Whiteside diving on the floor for loose balls. What is happening? <laughs> DJ retweeted it and wrote culture. Uh, culture? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, it. like, you can go get a guy who's maybe better than CJ, but like, I think Portland, I think it's fair to say they have over they overachieved last year in the playoffs. Um, a team that starts Mo Harkless and Alfa Rukaminu and has kind of a scarce bench getting to the Western Conference Finals. Picking up Cantor halfway through the season as a replacement piece, yeah. Yeah, and, like, and he's starting and beasting Steven Adams. <laughs> it's like we have an established culture that is working for us, and until we can build the necessary talent around it, I think you ride the wave. I think that's a great point to bring up, too, because earlier this season there was a lot of questions, and Ty, you and I discussed this on a previous episode, about the culture around Portland and why we were comparing to Boston, where when we'd had such injuries here and uh, having to rotate kind of these pieces in, players who were supposed to be bench pieces and kind of uh, lesser role, having to step up into bigger roles and how they weren't seeming ready. Uh, There was a lot of question about what is the issue here? Is there not, are the coaches not able to kind of train these guys up? Is there not a culture of stepping up the same way where you'd see in Boston uh, injuries would happen and you'd have these role players kind of stepping into bigger roles and seeming to fit pretty well. But yeah. whatever that added up to, you know, again, injuries are a problem. Uh, there's only so many practice dates available once the season has begun to try and work new pieces in and get people up to, up to speed. But whatever factors there were there, 
I, I think you're right. I think it's undeniable that Portland has a certain culture, especially around the backcourt here, that pairing of Dame and CJ that I don't – there's – it's not broken. You don't want to try and fix it if it's not broke yet. So yeah, I, I say stick with it. Just don't. Just I hate the rings culture. Like Dame's getting all these buckets, and there's all these idiot Laker fans and Rocket fans. Like, <laughs> shut up. Like one, it's so hard to win a championship. Just allow like witness greatness and just be happy about it. And like, like seeing how bad Portland was this year, I was texting some of my Blazer buddies, and I'm like, man. Last season, when we're on a, like a Wednesday or a Thursday or Friday national TV game, and we're beating the Nuggets or the Rockets, there was nothing wrong with that. It was so fun, and now we're like <laughs> scraping, getting blown out by the Knicks. Like, let's just—it's fine. Let's just build. As a Blazer fan down in LA, do you feel like you get, do you get a lot of like uh, guff from coworkers or or anyone talks to you about? Uh, Lakers versus Blazers down there, or is it mostly like they're, they're, again? There's a whole perception up here that we have a rivalry with the Lakers, but other fan bases, I feel like, be like, no, nah, you guys are just the Blazers. Everyone has a rivalry with the Lakers. Do you feel like there you get any sort of a uh, extra guff on on that side being a Blazer fan in LA, or is it not so special? Um, I mean, the, I work with a couple of Laker fans, but they're cool. They're I mean, <laughs> okay. They're like, they're ob- they can be obnoxious, but like they're they they do not come in like just talking shit and running their mouth. Um. But like Twitter, Twitter has made me hate Laker fans more than anything. Not, not <laughs> just. But I sometimes I just have to because I don't normally respond to anything when I see it. But I'll just be like, "Well, time to log off for tonight." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just call it good. We uh, I I gotta share too. Shout out to Chad Doing up hey! here. Uh, one of the guys that I work with over at NBC Sports. He before the Laker game, he put out a tweet that said the Blazers had a zero point zero percent chance of winning that game or something along those lines. And he got wrecked for it, man. Like, he just got, like, just, just burned down by uh, people on Twitter for it. But he owned it, too. At one point, he made a comment. Uh, he, he retweeted himself uh, with the comment, I tweet like Mario Hazonia plays basketball. Uh, <laughs> and, okay, let's just... Mario's the new Myers. Nobody likes Mario. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> that is true. That is so true. And, and, look, I mean, yeah, as far as fan perception, Mario is the new Myers. Fans are just going to hate on him, but... I'm not trying to rag on the dude too much, but look, when that, that game in L.A., the, the way it was going, it felt like the Blazers were ahead. Dame was leading us to what felt like a good victory coming on. But then in comes Mario. Instead of having earlier, we had minutes from not just Nasir Little, but uh, Waylon? Wenyon. Wenyon Gabriel. Wenyon Gabriel, this dude who I'd never heard of before the Ariza trade. He comes over as like an extra piece for us. He played 11 games for Sacramento, and then his first minutes for the Blazers are in L.A. starting that game, and he blocks McGee. He had a dump pass to Hassan. Anyway, so I want to get to him in a second. He has an amazing game. But how do you go from him starting off so well and Nasir Little, who seems to be playing pretty well, and then you put Mario in at the end and it just seemed to fall apart, man. I was seriously worried that we were going to give that up and, and Lakers were going to take it away after all. I saw Zonia take like three or four shots and then he tried like he tried driving. Like he had like a three yes. minute span where he like was like, this is my time to shine. Oh, I was like, dude. no, it's not, dude. It's not your time. He's so rough. I was I was dead wrong about him. I, I remember I tweeted out like, like in October, I was like, guys, I am irrationally excited about Mario. <laughs> I was so wrong. I was like, this guy put up numbers in New York. He's going to have a healthy locker room, a good leader in Dame. He's got a good coach. 
but I was he has been rough. You're not alone, man. I was I was in the same boat. Uh, again, Ty, I was telling you early in the season, I think, I, I thought Mario was going to be a great fit here. We finally had an athletic big wing who had some attitude. He had some swagger. He had some uh, chemistry and background with Nurkic. He and uh, I think it's Mario's dad, like Nurkic is uh, good friends with. There's some sort of silly thing like that I heard in an uh, article at one point. They, uh, on, on a European team, they... I guess had rooms nearby each other, so they just had bonded long back ago. I thought he'd be such a good fit. Obviously, we hadn't seen him play next to Nurkic yet this year. Maybe that could be a difference maker that we'll see in this last uh, this last half of the, of the season. He might not get to play with Nurkic because he, he might get <laughs> traded before Nurkic gets back. Oh, you you think they could actually find someone who wants to take Mario on at this point? Because I don't know. I if mean, they could go dump him. They did that. Remember that Bulls trade a couple years ago? They, they were they shouldn't have traded Noah Vanya like that, but they just traded no. him away for like some European player and something. Like I could see them doing that with Azonia. Yeah, I. But yeah, you're not alone though, man. I really had hopes for Azonia. I thought he'd be nice. I thought he would be a nice piece to have this year. I I don't know what's been going on with him. I feel like there's got to be some off the court issues or just something psychologically going with him that he's working through. Best of luck to him on it. But let's. Uh, Let's talk about Wenyan Gabriel, because that was amazing. Have uh, Michael, have you seen him play before? Has he ever caught your eye, or was this kind of a out of nowhere for you, too? I knew nothing about him. I was at the Blazer. I was at that game, and I was talking to uh, Jim Taylor. He works for the Blazers. I was talking to him at uh, halftime. And I was like, who is this guy? I was like, he looks like Al Farouk Aminu from where I'm sitting. <laughs> I had the same reaction. That block on McGee and um, watching him move his feet on defense and stay in front of Kyle Kuzma. Uh, I have no idea if he can shoot. I know he's athletic, but um, I don't know. Like, I, I was excited about him. I was like, man, this guy is 6'9 with like a 7'5 wingspan. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, right. And there was a possession after that too. At one point, LeBron driving in uh, to the bucket, and I, I don't know if you if you could actually say that Wenyan stuffed him, but LeBron driving in here, and Wenyan got his hands in there, man. Definitely disrupted the shot, and it was it was a, it was a short span in the beginning, but he looked damn good doing it, and I, it was exciting, man. Between him and Nas, I just feel like one of those dudes. I would like to see. Uh, sorry, Mario, but I'd like to see all Mario's minutes go towards Nas or or Wenyan at this point. One thing I have heard around, you know, around the water cooler and that kind of stuff, uh, is that Stas doesn't tr- uh, Stas does not quite trust Nasir. Uh, in general, I think we've seen Stas have issues with rookies. He doesn't really play young guys too much. But again, when you're seeing them get run, when you're seeing Gabriel get run early and Little get run early, I just I don't know why you'd go away from him uh, from later in the game. But you know, I think it comes down to I don't know if Stas really wants to play like Mario, but I think at that point he has to look at somebody who can dribble, somebody who can maybe knock down a shot, and at the end of it make, I don't know if is the best at it, but he's better than Nasir at dribbling and maybe like running an offense if needed, so maybe that's what it comes down to, just somebody if like a double team comes on Dame, CJ or whatever, they can get it to him, and he can at least dribble out of a situation, maybe that's where I just like, just small things like that and I, I assume I assume Mario plays well in practice. Like uh, Dame, Dame loved him in the preseason. I haven't heard Dame talk about him much since. But like, yeah, um, I, I heard uh, Evan Turner com- or uh, an Evan Turner comparison to him earlier this season. I think by Quick, who was like, it's just not a great fit because Hazonia thrives when he has the ball in his hand, and he's, he doesn't get the ball in his hand when he's playing with Dame and CJ. Like he's more of a catch and shoot guy, and that's not who he is. Yeah, it's. 
Yeah, he's he's that that really is a thing too. And even in that game again, that LA game, when we were seeing him kind of take some of those catch and shoot possessions, like no, dude. I, I, and again, Nasir Little, he, I think he took one three in that game. He hits the one three, and then we have we see Mario come in and just the shooting is not. I want to see him drive to the basket. I want to see him get out on the fast breaks, but uh, not the rest of it. So I think we all should agree because right now, what his offseason signings were Bazemore. No, he traded for Bazemore. He got Tolliver. Uh, I think Osh- whatever else. Uh, and he signed Hazonia. So his signings aren't really best. Maybe he should stick to trading like he did with Whiteside. <laughs> but I guess I guess Bazemore was a trade. But and now he's and then he made another trade on top of that. And now he's got like Ariza and Swanigan. So maybe the summer around July is not is not his best time to be making moves. Olshay. Yeah, end season trades is where he thrives. Yeah, exactly. And that was something else that we were touching on last night, Michael, is uh, he seems to be a great in-season GM making these kind of uh, mid-season moves. But so so are you trying to say that we shouldn't hold out hope for uh, getting Jeremy Grant up here in the offseason? Because he would be one of those uh, one of those signings we need to get done. Yeah, I uh, I don't have a lot of faith in O'Shea making summer moves. I keep that's <laughs> something. We're, we're honestly, we're still reeling from summer of 2016. I think this team could be a title contender right now if it weren't for 2016. Oof. Oh, boy. That's rough. But look, we've gotten some of that value off. Uh, uh, as you pointed out earlier, Ty, we kind of have consolidated the E.T. and Myers and all those contracts into this year. It was Baysmore and Whiteside, essentially. And yep. now we have turned Baysmore in. We've turned that money into value. And it is now just the question of uh, what do we do with the remaining $27 million elephant in the room of Whiteside, especially when he's been playing so damn well. Uh, we I don't think we noticed earlier, his last six games, dude, Jason Peterson on Twitter, uh, shout out to him, he hey. told this up, over his last six games, Whiteside has had 114 points, 89 boards, and 26 blocks. That's incredible, man. I just the streak of double-doubles, and it's not even weak double-doubles. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, I, again, like we were all saying earlier, I don't see how you get rid of him at this point. He just, he's playing too well, and You've got to calculate that into his value as far as if he walked, if you got rid of him at this point in the season, not having those numbers here the rest of the season or having to put that on Nurkic to, to perform and produce, uh, that's that's a risk. And I don't know if they're going to take that. Well, Ty, uh, this is, I guess, where we turn it over to you. We're going to run straight through the breaks and run th- straight through the listener questions. I think we'll just save all those for next week. I'm sure we'll get uh, lots of stuff to talk about after the Super yep. Bowl as well. But, Ty, why don't you give us uh, some betting lines for upcoming games? All right, so obviously right now there are no official lines out because the next game is two days away for the Blazers. Uh, they will be on the road against the Nuggets. Um, no word. I would imagine that Millsap, Plumley, and Murray are probably all going to be out for the Nuggets still. Uh, Denver's played well the last couple games. Uh, they beat Utah and Milwaukee uh, on back-to-backs. Uh, now going there, um, I might set that line at Nuggets probably – They'll probably open up as like four and a half point favorites. Four and a half point favorites in the Nuggets. You, you agree with that line? Okay, so are you taking? Yeah. Sorry, I mean, the the sketch getting us trouble here. Uh, Michael, do you think if you agree with that line at four and a half for the Nuggets, do you think you're taking? Uh, are you taking Nuggets? Or are you taking uh, Blazers or the spread on this? Where are you at? Ooh, I think I would honestly, I would take Portland at plus four and a half. If that was where the line was at, just given all their injuries and how Portland's clicking right now, I would add that far. But it's... yeah, I like to see he is a true Blazer fan, guys. He's not just living down in LA. He's not been uh, uh, <laughs> contaminated too much down there. He's taking Blazers at the four and a half uh, underdogs in it. And you know what? I'll I'll take that as well. Let's do it. Ty, you you riding with us? I like it. I'll roll with it as well. I have all right. to. Right. Okay. Let's get a uh, let's get something else besides the betting line though. 
Who do you think is going to have more rebounds that game? Jokic or Whiteside? Time coming to you first. Uh, Whiteside. I don't. I know Jokic. He's he's not. I mean, he's a good rebounder, but I think he plays a little bit more out in the perimeter. So he'll be probably getting the assists and stuff. And I can see Whiteside get maybe another twenty rebound game at this point. He's just a magnet for those rebounds. Yeah, I'm going Whiteside just because the Nuggets have like a million people who are grabbing rebounds. It's pretty much uh-huh. just Whiteside for Portland. <laughs> okay, you know, I I think just uh just to set up a rivalry here, I'm gonna go the other way on this. Then I think it's totally possible that with uh, the Denver altitude and Whiteside streak, as much as he's been playing well, there might be a little bit of a gap somewhere. And if if we have any sort of trouble in this game, no, I'm 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 totally full of shit here. I, I gotta say Whiteside. Probably has too. <laughs> he's trying. He was trying. <laughs> All right, yeah, Whiteside's got that one. You want to set up any other line on that tie or move on to the next game? Uh, let's move on to the next one. All right. All right, next one is we play two days after that on the 6th of February. Uh, that is actually the NBA tread deadline day. Uh, so we could possibly see some – we could be low on depth if we trade like we did the other day where we only had like six players, seven players played after that baseboard taller trade. So uh, that one could be iffy, but the Blazers are home against the Spurs all – I'll just say they have a complete roster, no trades. Um, I'll put it as Blazers three-point favorites. Yeah, I, I was going to say like three, three and a half, and I would take that. I think Portland wins that game. Okay, apparently you guys are on the same page with this too. And yeah, but I, I got to take Portland that one easy either. The streak continues. But I do want to throw in here, maybe that will be the, uh, the little caveat for that uh, rebounding bet on Denver is that if there is a move made before that deadline and Whiteside's not a blazer anymore, then it's going to be hard for him to get more rebounds than Jokic. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> okay, just throwing that out there. No, yeah, blazers for this one too. Uh, and you said it's Spurs here in town. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see. What can we come up with for this one? Spurs are shooting from three pretty well this year, right? Uh, they shoot the ball pretty well. They get up and down. They've been putting up a lot of points lately. You think uh, you think Blazers end up with more threes than Spurs, or you think that's a, an over/under we can set? Uh, we could probably do that. I would. How, how about this? How about this? Total threes over/under at forty-five. Both higher. teams combined. Yeah. I'll, th- I'll take under forty-five. It wasn't like, like the NBA record forty-three. Nah, really? I, I thought. Let me think of this. How no, many? It was, it, was, it was like Portland and Dallas like two weeks ago. They combined for like forty. Oh, you're you're totally right. Okay, let me let's reset that line. How about how about forty? Is forty more reasonable? <laughs> I would take I would take the under. I who, who who's shooting threes well? Who, they got Bellinelli. They got they don't have Bertans anymore. They had Derek White, uh, Forbes. Yeah, Lamarcus is shooting some threes, but I uh, I would I would take the under on forty. So, I would take the under on thirty-five. Okay, are we all under on 35? Do we need to, how, how low are we going on this? I'll probably take the under on 35. Yeah, I can see. What about 30? That 30 is where I think Vegas would put the line. Like 30. 30? I'll awesome. take 31 then. I'll say they go over 30. Ty, Ty is saying they're going over? Okay. Yeah, I'll take like 31. I'll go over 30. Okay, well, fine. I'll, I'll go on the under just for bragging rights then when uh, when it's more of a, a driving game for Dane going to the hoop. <laughs> Bring uh, it. What's next? <laughs> uh, the next game after that, kind of funny. They play, I think that's, uh, or they play the Jazz on the second half of back-to-back, and they just play the Jazz on the second half of back-to-back, which I find interesting. Wow, that is interesting. Uh, Schedule. And it's in Utah. Um, so they'll be flying for Portland. Uh, so the Jazz, home, oh, 
I don't, I, I don't know what to think with this Jazz team like right now. Like you were saying, now they're actually playing good teams. They're losing, but that team, like, I mean, like you just look at that roster with Mitchell Gobert, like Bogdanovich, Conley, they've got uh, to figure it Ed out. Davis, like, do you think good. they should get a win, possibly at home? I don't know. I'll set this line. I think Vegas probably still believes in them. I'll put it at five. Five for for Utah. Yeah, that That's might be. Too high. I like. I like the Blazers to cover, but the Jazz to win that game. Blazers to cover the spread, but Jazz to win. That's probably the right way to go if we're going to say five. Five is a big window for Utah there, man. It's like it's, I mean, yeah, they've got to put this together at some point. They've got to figure out what they've got enough. Well, they were six and a half point favorites on the road the other night against us. Really? Hmm. Okay. So maybe I, I might even be setting that too low. I don't know, but. Jazz, Jazz need to back up five. I don't, I, we love Ed Davis, but that guy is pretty bad. <laughs> They're not using him right over there in Utah. <laughs> they were they were up eight. He checked in. We went on a 15-0 run. Like he is, he can't defend the pick and roll anymore. It's sad to watch. Oh Ed, I miss Ed. Yeah, but yeah maybe that was a good thing we got rid of him. <laughs> Poor Ed. Yeah, like I'm I'm convinced it's a system thing. I think he worked well here, but maybe it was just that one last good season for him here too. Uh, <laughs> I was distracted on that. Where, what were we? Were we still setting the line there? Oh yeah, it was the Utah uh, Utah five. I think I'm with Michael on this. I. No, f- it. I'm going to say Blazers have been doing pretty well on the road. I'm going Blazers win. Blazers take that one. I like it. All right. Hey, we, we just, uh, we, we just had it. We, I didn't think we were going to, after, after I didn't think we'd win on Friday in LA, uh, I didn't think we were going to come back here and win on Saturday after winning that one. I was like, dude, they're going to be too drained. They couldn't possibly do this. And what did we see last night? Uh, I'm just hoping for Damian Lillard's tear to continue as long as possible. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say Blazers take that on the road. Let's do it. Is that the is that it for that week, Ty? Is that uh, all we have? Yeah, because the next game would then be on uh, the ninth, which is a Sunday. Awesome, man. Well, uh, that's I think all we've got here, unless uh, unless we have anything else to add in here. Michael, I got to thank you so much for your time, dude. It's been really fun hanging with you and getting all your opinions on this. Uh, obviously, we're gonna I'm gonna get you back on here as soon as possible uh, to get more uh, more Blazers talk and maybe some more uh, LA connection. Yeah, absolutely, man. I was happy, I was happy to do it. Let me know. It, if people want to reach out to you on social medias, is there a, a good uh, good Twitter handle for you? Yeah, just mbotner. I'm uh, I watch every single game, so if, if anybody wants to join the therapy session, let me know. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, thank you, Michael Bodmer, so much. We appreciate your time. All right, guys. Take care. Welcome back to the Trailcasters. Uh, that was amazing. Thank you again so much to Michael Bodden for joining us and just hanging out, talking all the Blazers basketball that we could come up with. And also, thank you, Ty, for uh, reeling me back in when I kind of was getting a little starstruck and just wanted to kind of nerd down the rabbit hole on all the job stuff. So uh, that was awesome. No worries. We'll definitely get him back on here soon. Uh, as for uh, as for the rest of today, we've got the Super Bowl to talk about. I figure let's hit on that. We're going to save listener questions and the fantasy ball for next week. Uh, but Ty, uh, what do you think for uh, the game today? What's your what's your line on the Niners versus the Chiefs? Uh, first off, I'm so excited we have a Super Bowl that is going to be really good. Hopefully, it's not the Patriots. I mean, I'm not trying to hate on the Patriots, but like when it came in, no, no, please hit and, on the uh, Patriots. I'm down for this. Like, I, I don't want to talk about Patriots, football, but, but I'm let's just do saying. It. 
it was kind of boring when you know that they are going to try and win the game 7-0, to zero, basically, and they want to try and dink and dunk all game. This is going to be a high-scoring game. We got we got Patty Mahomes. We got this good San Francisco 49ers offensive defense. It's going to be so exciting. Um, I had a tough time going both ways here. Uh, obviously, Mahomes is so good, and the Chiefs offense is explosive and electric. But I, I put my money on the San Francisco 49ers. Um, quite a few bills on them to win, uh, <laughs> but I honestly think I I think they're the more round-rounded team, and I think they'll they should pull it out. But I can't say that if the roles were reversed and the Chiefs were the dog in this game and the Niners were favored, I wouldn't be putting my money on the Chiefs. I think both these teams are just so good that I almost just wanted to take the value, so I took the Niners. <laughs> okay, well. Mahomes does seem like that superstar emerging from, you know, kind of the opinions that I aggregate around everybody else. Uh, he does seem like kind of that superstar, the next, uh, the next superstar in the NFL. But word is that the, uh, sorry, I'm still stuck on hating the Patriots. The Niners just have more weapons. They can probably win the game more ways. So I feel like that's what it's going to come down to. Or that's at least the narrative that I'm hearing is that if Mahomes goes off, he goes off and might not be stoppable. But if he doesn't go off hundred percent, the Niners just have, uh, yeah, more in their bag, more ways to win. I'm with you. I, I hope that's the case. Uh, We're talking about this like it hasn't happened yet. By the time anyone un- hears this, oh, by yeah, the time anyone true. hears this pod, the results will already be in they'll, there. So uh, congratulations, Niners. It's true. There we go. Unfortunately, <laughs> in a way, my brother is a San Francisco 49ers fan. So I will – I mean, I don't really want to hear him be so excited about how his team finally won. But it also is kind of a family team, like my grandpa and uncles and all them were favorites. So in a way, I kind of have to root for them. So it'll be good. I just I'm so excited. We we should be getting an awesome Super Bowl. So help I hope everybody enjoyed the game. Since yeah, this will be passed. And congratulations you know to the Niners and to me yeah. winning all that money. <laughs> you know what I'm excited for is uh, the end of the football season. Now we just fully focus on basketball. I'm not I'm not excited hey, for, oh, the, oh, okay. for for the end of football season, but that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. We, we can, we, you know, we can argue about football maybe in the uh, in the off season. We'll get to another another point of that. But uh, at this point, let's just uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you again to Michael Bodmer for joining us today of ESPN's The Jump. Thank you to you listeners for tuning in. Uh, let's see, Ty, if they want to reach out to us, where can they find us at? At Trailcasters on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find me at Rip City Keith, and you can find Ty at Ty Delbridge, and always check out at TD Sports Podcast for more on betting lines and and uh, what, what else are you covering over there? Let's give that a little shout out. Shout just out just right now, I'm just doing daily bets. Um, I might change the name, so if anybody has a good name for me, I might. Uh, I honestly considered win, lose, or tie there, Keith. I was like, oh, oh. that's not a bad <laughs> daily bet name. But right now, I'm just I'm just going in and uh, just looking at bets that I like. Putting it out there and ties people on the choose shelf, to tail and back. we can win money together or we can lose money together. <laughs> win, loss, or ties on the shelf. But it's coming back, baby. It's going <laughs> to it's gonna be here. It's going to have a... I have to give it its take. props now. It's pretty creative. <laughs> All right, man. Well, yeah, you can always find us on, on the social medias there. Uh, trying to say that as much of uh, like an old man as possible. But if they are trying to send us any fancy dancy emails, where would they send those emails to? At trailcastersgmail.com. And if we're if they are finding our pod on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever else they find podcasts, what are we always looking for? Five stars. And these beats can be found where? SoundCloud.com slash Odar Beats. 
Thank you to Odar and thank you to ClearlySpeakingOregon.com. Clearly Speaking and Brendan Uckton can help you with any of your speech and hearing needs. Please go and help them, support them like they have supported our pod. In closing, your honorable listeners, that's it. That's our show. Thank you, Ty, as always. Thank you to Odar for those fat beats. Thank you to our sponsor, Clearly Speaking. And thank you to Michael Bodmer of ESPN's The Jump for joining us today. And, of course, thank you, listeners, for a great listening. We hope you enjoy your Blazers, your Ripsity Basketball, and our latest episode. Thank you again, and please come back next week for the next edition of The Trailcasters. <laughs>